Hello and welcome to Story Radio, the podcast for readers, writers and lovers of short stories everywhere. Today we're listening to Lover Man, written by Lindsay Gillespie. Loverman, narrated by Luke Blackwood Stevenson. Livingston Franklin was working late at St. Jude's, but by some fluke he was an historic ten and a half minutes early. Time enough for a visit to the goddess M.C. Granahan. Simone M.C. Granahan was in charge of the staff canteen in the underworld of the hospital basement, and Livingston Franklin had long worshipped the rubber mat she stood on. The canteen queue flowed out and down the corridor. Livingston nodded away. He knew most everyone. The cleaning crews, all the nurses, the security guards, the medics. He flipped his lanyard so it faced out, so you could make out the little promotion he'd awarded himself. Dr. Livingston, it said. He'd scribbled it on, just for a laugh. The goddess had honked pungently through her nose when she spotted it, and chastised him on his spelling. Livingston worked two jobs, a cleaner on B-block. He was a bit of a singer also. Soul music. The stage name he went by was Mr. Loverman, and it would be fair to say that there wasn't an Al, a Smokey, a Stevie or a Marvin he hadn't taken a pop at one time or another. He had this big, bassy growl on him, and there'd been a rumour going round that one of the big labels was serious about signing him. A rumour started by himself. The only signing going on now were his initials, which sprouted up on the cleaning timetables perched over every bog in B-block. He sighed. Junior doctors flapped off and away to other hospitals. Interns and nurses shot off after their training at St Jude's, a lot of them with their hearts set on Australia. But there was only one place for Livingston, stateside. A pilgrimage to pay homage to all the sole greats. Stacks, Memphis for St. Otis, Motown, Detroit for St. Smokey, and saving the best for last, Muscle Shoals, Alabama, where St. Aretha Franklin had reigned supreme. But here he was still, Nowheresville. The queue wasn't shifting. Time to diddle with his playlist freshen up the running order. He shuffled Al Green up front and pushed Sam Cook back a little. His opener would be Luther's Never Too Much in orthopedics. This old heart for the top of B-block staircase. Then he'd polish off the shift with Have You Seen Her, which would go nicely with the floor waxer on C-wing. The queue was slow tonight. Time for his warm-up. Inhale for four beats. Then hold for seven, eight, nine, and exhale for ten, and repeat. Nostril clearing next. Two nurses from casualty turned around startled. He was halfway through the throat gargler when the curtain of steam parted and M.C. Granahan manifested behind her silver counter. Tonight she blazed in a shocking pink St. Jude's tabard, her crown of braids dyed to match. Her arms ran glossy with sweat. She fixed a look on him. 
putting folks off their break again, Franklin. Loverman was smitten and terrified in equal part. One Ribena, please, Simone. Uh, one Lucas Aid and a small chamomile tea. His voice sounded squeaky all of a sudden. For the throat. He was the only gent in the staff canteen that went in for the herbal teas. Simone smirked and turned to kick the churning dishwasher. The machines at St. Jude's were the only things that dared disobey her. Livingston remembered he was starving as usual and took the opportunity to half-inch the last of the scotch eggs. She'd been known to let him get away with a freebie, now and again if she was in a reasonable mood. She wasn't. She dinged his knuckles with the milk jug, and he dropped the whole plate. Pimply eggs staggered off along the canteen floor, kabooinging between chair legs. A junior doctor went in with a pretend rugby tackle, then all his table joined in. They passed the eggs up the line, to Livingston one at a time. He faked a laugh, and picked off the fluff, stuck to the eggs. I'll have to charge you for the whole lot. That'll be £9.70p said Simone, and she stuck her hand out. And you'll want to give those eggs a good scrub. They'll be riddled. Livingston considered the mystery of M.C. Granahan's riddled heart. Two whole years he'd been knocking at her door, so to speak. Though the canteen counter was surely not the place to talk about matters of the heart, he'd been reckless. He'd invoked her namesake, the magnificent Miss Nina Simone. Did that name not mean anything to her? It did not. He'd had a go with, I put a spell on you, and had done better with, my baby just cares for you, right here at her splattered counter. Come and hear me for real. Come and check out the band. Just one time, he begged her. He could add her to the non-existent guest list any time, he'd said. Lover man and the lover brothers played the graveyard shift. Mondays down the butcher's arms at the other end of the street to St. Jude's. Handy since the butcher's clientele had traditionally been in the habit of starting the night in one and finishing it in another, but the band had just scored a new slot Friday night. Biggest night of the week. Come tonight! He chipped, chipped, chipped away at the boatious MC Granahan exterior until she cracked. This one time, she said. Then put a sock in it, that clear? And the drinks were on you, right? Livingston squeaked his assent. And her? Simone nodded in the direction of Rita Eno's throat who recently seemed to be on all the same breaks as Livingston. Stick her on the guest list too. Though she's more of a porn star martini sort of girl, aren't you, Reet? Rita smirked. And we'll be after a nice big bag of nuts, Livingston, <laughs> she said. The two women cracked up. Rita and Livingston had had their fair share of run-ins. The most recent was to do with some Brazil nuts. Halfway through a shift, peckish as per usual, his habit was to lap the nurses' stations, going slop-slop with the mop until the coast was clear. Grateful, and it had to be said, deeply unimaginative patients heaped the nurses with box after box of Quality Street, milk tray, black magic after-eights, matchmakers, cheap crappola. Too much milky chalk clogged up his throat, so it was a relief to come across something different. Brazil nuts. Loads. Five boxes. He'd been shoveling them in when Rita pounced. Caught you with your mouth full, Liv. A nut stuck skew ways in his gullet. Just a little something for the throat, you know? Chocolate Brazils, gent in the end bed, she said. His daughter bought in a box for him every single day. His favourite, she said. 
Then, when she'd gone home, he'd get stuck in, sucking the chocolate off. Then stick the nuts back in the box. I used to watch him do it. Franklin felt the nuts scrape his windpipe, all the way down. He had a small choking fit. See you tonight. Rita turned and walked away. His heartburn was back. Down at the butcher's and the big night wasn't going to plan. Terry said anything about the money yet? Terry was the butcher's new manager. He's got massive plans to shake the place up, and that's why he's given us a crack at Fridays, said Aubrey, the bass guitar. So, it's more money then? asked Livingston. Bound to be. Longer sets for starters. And Friday nights different punters, Terry says. He wasn't wrong. Monday nights were 15, 20 customers tops. Mondays were the Jamaican gents clacking dominoes at the big window seat, and a few late shifters from Jude's dribbling in for a quick one. Now and then, the odd terrifying nurse's hen night invaded, braying for antics Loverman felt ill-equipped for. On these occasions, he rued his mum's Dundee side for his physical shortcomings. His freckles, his eyelids were freckly even, and his ginger beer-coloured ringlets. Though now his hair was after dropping out, that was less of a problem. Or more of one. Whatever, resembling a ginger umpalumpa was never going to be a top look for a soul man. It had held him back, no doubt about it. Franklin looked around. This Friday night mob looked up for a rave, all dressed up. They were playing the biggest function room, and it was heaving. Fifty? Sixty? More. The only ladies in the house he could see were Simone and Rita. From what Franklin could make out from the stage, Simone and Rita had a million wine glasses twinkling on top of their table, and an industrial-sized wine bucket with bottles sticking out the top. He hadn't sung a note yet. Loverman felt more heartburn coming on. Writing out his playlist would give him focus. Franklin crossed it out crossed it out again. He wanted to get it right, make an impact. The band was fannying around with the amps. They were acting off with him, tonight of all nights. Aubrey was in a moody and asked him why he hadn't got back to him. He claimed he left Franklin at least six messages on his mobile. Franklin crooked a look over at Simone and Rita. Been busy, haven't I? Aubrey followed his look. The both of them live? Ooh-wee! From what Franklin knew, Aubrey still lived with his mum. And the rest of the Lover Brothers' love lives was nothing to write home about, either. Keith bounced around the sofas of any ex still speaking to him, and Wicks the Sticks was crashing at his grandma's since the latest lady he had given him the heave-ho. Does it never cross your mind to check your messages? The boys and me were wanting to make a few changes. Me too, Franklin glared back. The Lover Brothers had been on the slide a good while. Standards had slipped like the trickle of ketchup down Aubrey's lapel. Showtime now. The making a few changes stuff would have to wait. Livingston buttoned his jacket and hauled himself up on stage. South London, he wailed. The mirrorball blinded him. Hope you're in the mood tonight for a butcher's arm special. A big bowl of soul. You're in for a treat. With a, with a what? His voice wobbled. With, he had never, never died on stage before. With, with the lover brothers. And we've got, the feedback was making his fillings scream. Aubrey Casey on the basey. Wick sticks, cooking up tricks, and, uh, He turned and saw the band had their backs to him. The band always performed a little showboating after each name check, but tonight of all nights, they couldn't be asked. I'm Mr. Loverman. Tonight I'm dedicating our first song to a certain someone special. He slobbered into the mic. 
The band skidded off into Let's Get It On, and Franklin looked down to see Rita, ear, nose, throat's hand, crawling all over Simone's backside, which led him to make a right dog's dinner of I Believe in Miracles when there was a bit of a skirmish down the front. Someone was jumping, pogoing, the lad in the glitter jumpsuit. He'd stormed the stage, a stage invasion, their first one ever. If Simone and Rita could just take a breather, they'd be well impressed. The Lover Brothers had fans, real crazy ones. Livingston stepped across to gently remonstrate, but Glitter Boys swung the mic off him. Livingston took a dive at him, with Aubrey joining in, but he nutted Livingston instead. The room exploded. Disco, 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 chanted the boy, and more boys piled up on stage, joining in. Disco, disco, they hooted. No way could Franklin take this lying down, and he flew at Glitter Boy, who was loads stronger than he looked, and had in any case been joined by a chap in feathers who sent Franklin flying. Franklin was carried out of the butchers, and suffered the indignity of being patched up in St Jude's A&E. His phone pinged away. Aubrey, seven stitches, Franklin said when he answered. Seven stitches and a black eye. Tell Terry to stuff his Fridays. I'm sorry, but we've been trying to say, to tell you, this lover man stuff. It's lame. It's old school. It's over. Terry's after this makeover. We can be part of it, he says, if we make some changes. Franklin spat out a tooth, together with one word into the phone. Judas! He thought it wisest to leave things with MC Granahan after that, and dodged the canteen. He took into carrying a thermos of herbal tea and some bread and butter brought in from home. The road to tonight was B-block stairs, orthopaedics, then finish up in cardio. Franklin had copped the lame cleaning cart, the one with the wonky wheel that steamrolled your toes, which happened straight off. Thank you very much, he said out loud to it in an empty corridor. He needed a breather to distract him from the throbbing love train. The end of the corridor had a bounce-back echo and gave the song the rousing funk it needed. Livingston swirled the broom like the mic stand. Darren from Maintenance was passing. I believe in miracles matched the groove he needed for a mop attack along the top staircase. He was strutting his stuff tonight, even with the sore eye and the missing tooth. He backed up the mob wagon and started on a slow glissando with Try a Little Tenderness. The lift opened and Mikey pushed out a trolley prepped for theatre. Nice one, Franklin. These were his audience, his people. Right then, it was definite. He was going solo. The Lover Brothers were just a buggery ball and chain weighing him down. He'd been carrying them forever. It was going to be Livingston Franklin's chance to shine now. His time, top of B-block staircase. His fave. You could let all hell loose here. B-block atrium was St Jude's Royal Albert Hall, acoustically speaking. If you sang down into the stairwell, the beat rippled out and floated back. Immense. Doctor! A woman's voice calling him. Can you help me, please? He braked the cart and followed her. She disappeared into the shadows of cardio. I was looking for one of the nurses, but I can't find them. Then I saw you. She was shining skinned with a voice that lilted. Would you mind keeping an eye out on my husband so I can get a bite from the canteen? If he wakes, just tell him that Aretha will be back in two shakes. Aretha? He'll be in good hands, Aretha, Franklin said. And she stepped out through the curtain and down the ward. He pulled the curtains back about the bed and looked down at the shape of a man buried amongst the tubes and coils. 
The bed was lit with a low blue light. There was a hum of soft bleeps and he waited on the oxygen pump to count him in. Going solo had been the right move for him. Here he was already, doing a private engagement. All the great soul men, Otis, Curtis, Marvin, when they'd thrown off the shackles of their bands, they'd soared. No need to think about the playlist. He had the song. He started low. His voice sounded good to him in this dimly lit space, fierce and tender, both. When a man loves a woman, one tear, then two, dropped from Livingston's eyes and pinged onto the heart monitor. This is what he should have been doing all along. Songs of healing, to people who appreciated his talent. He'd been such a plonker pissing it away down the butchers. The ventilator suddenly lost its rhythm. It lurched in a crazy frenzy, the monitor flashing yellow and red. Amongst the churned sheets, the patient was trying to surface, trying to say something. Loverman kept singing as he took the man's hand in his. The bleeper stopped bleeping. The shining skin lady rushed up and parted the curtain. Did he ask for me? Franklin shook his head. It's all fine now. The ventilator ran sweet again. Livingston Franklin's heart thudded. He started alto with I Say a Little Prayer. He sang across the bed to the lady with wet cheeks, still holding her husband's hand. And in the electric blue light with the curtains drawn, they locked gazes and Franklin sang full into the heart of Aretha. Best performance of his life. That was Lover Man. It was written by Lindsay Gillespie, produced by Martin Nathan, and read by Luke Blackwood Stevenson. If you've enjoyed listening, don't forget to follow at Story Radio UK on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Goodbye. Oh, 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 oh,